So a little poll here today. A little viewer response, if you will. What are some of the things you say to folks um, who are nervous about public speaking? I, I said response, folks. <laughs> All right, we got breathe. The audience being naked. We have a winner. I also would have accepted picture the audience in their underwear. And just to let you know, I am not picturing any of you in your underwear or any of you naked. The idea behind this old piece of wisdom is that vulnerability is humanizing. It can help connect us. Remember that underneath all of this, we are just so much the same in body and in heart. And that if we remember that connection, that we might just ease up on ourselves a little bit. That's what this entire message series, Daring Greatly, has been about. Comes to a conclusion today. Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, is about what happens when we recognize the disconnection in our lives. When we recognize this feeling of we're not enough, we don't have enough, or we're inadequate, and we don't belong. So because this is the final message in the series, I want to save until today. I'm going to share with you now my single most favorite quote in this entire book. I've been holding on to this for two months. I could have used it any other time. Lee could have used it. It's this. Worrying about scarcity is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress. It happens when you've been through too much, and rather than coming together to heal, which requires vulnerability, we're angry and scared and at each other's throats. Angry and scared and at each other's throats. Disconnected, not wanting to find those things. That bond us heart to heart together. Reminds me this, this moment we're kind of living through right now. Of a lot of stress for a lot of people. And a lot of disconnection. We're seeing it a whole bunch of ways. Voting rates. People showing up at the polls are down. People aren't joining as many spiritual communities. Not joining as many voluntary associations. Giving across the board in all kinds of ways is down in our culture right now. All kinds of signs of disconnection. It makes me think that maybe... Something is is coming to an end that maybe so many of the arguments we've had with each other for so long, we've just exhausted ourselves. Reminds me of a a movie that I grew up with. Any of you remember War Games? Remember War Games from the 80s? All right. We got some Gen Xers here. We're squeezed between the boomers, us Gen Xers and the millennials after us. But I don't know if you remember this. This is the moment, and I can't describe all of war games for you. Basically, it's a comedy drama in which computers threaten to take over the world. Think of it as a, a funnier Terminator with a lot less violence. And it gets to the point, the key moment in the movie, when a computer is at war with itself, trying to launch a thermonuclear war that will bring all of humanity to an end. And it exhausts itself over and over and over and over and over again. Launching volleys this way from U.S. to Russia, Russia back to the U.S. Until finally it burns out its circuits and can't play anymore and says these words up on the screen. A strange game. The only winning move is not to play. Now, actually, in the movie, that's a hopeful thing. 
for many of us in our culture, this feeling of not wanting to play, not wanting to engage, is often a sad thing and a disconnecting thing. It comes at the end or at this time right now of a really tough decade, a tough time in the life of our country. Some of you may have heard this phrase before. It's called the lost decade. Think of it as the 2000s, which goes like this. 9-11, a war we shouldn't have been involved in, financial collapse, the continuous moral collapse of our churches, protecting themselves and not protecting the most vulnerable. Add to this, if you will, and I could go on with this for a while. I'm just going to have one more thing, just because, you know, you might not be despairing enough right now. The World Wildlife Federation, the American, excuse me, the London Zoological Society reports that half of all wild animals in land and in sea have been destroyed. Half of all wild animals in just the last 40 years. So many losses. What do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Maybe we disconnect. Maybe we say, I'm just going to take care of myself. Not going to connect. But we're here. We're together. And I think we have a better way. There's a writer named Joe Confino, who's a British writer and the head of something called uh, Sustainable Capitalism. And he says there is a way through all of these losses, which is actually to feel them. He proposes grief, honest grief, honest sadness. He said he went to a ritual not too long ago. He writes about this in the Guardian newspaper in England, in which it was nothing but grieving. Grieving for our losses, grieving for our broken hearts, grieving for the injuries to this world. And he found it totally liberating and cleansing and healing. Something that one of my favorite poets, Pablo Neruda, mentions in his wonderful poem, Keeping Quiet. I'm just going to read you a brief bit of it. Neruda says this, if we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing... Perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth then can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. I love that phrase. A huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. This pressure to keep our lives moving forward, to make progress. I ask you today, if you could stop for a moment, and maybe right now, stop for a moment, what would you grieve for? Maybe a way to phrase this is, what are you grieving already right now? We could stop for a moment. This is where Joe Confino is right on target. The minute we stop honestly and open to our griefs and our losses, we simultaneously find something else as well. Our hearts. We find what we love. 
We find our values again when we can stop and just remember. Maybe it's something small that you're grieving for, but trust that. Grieve it. Love it. Just bow before it. This tyranny of moving forward. I'm not sure we're going to make any progress until we stop in this culture. The paradox of this reminds me of a video that I grew up with. I think I was 22 when this came out. Some of you might remember that. It's the end of the video from R.E.M. band Everybody Hurts, a song we do here at Wellsprings. And the way the video goes is that everyone is locked in their own little individual cars and has these little thought bubbles of all of their pain that separates them from themselves and from each other. And no one's talking. And then all of a sudden, it comes to a stop. And people leave their cars and they get out and they start connecting. Now, in our age, in our time, something like this, we might think that those figures who I know you can't see very well, that maybe the reason all those cars have come to a stop, that yes, it's finally happened. It's the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) And by the way, it is no accident at all that our society right now is overcome with images of zombies. We think something is coming to an end and we just think it can be the worst things. I mean, I was reminded this past week when I was leaving Center City after an appointment. And if you're on that little bit of the, of the Vine Street Expressway where it goes from two lanes down into one and you merge onto the Schuylkill and there's almost always a little traffic jam there. But this was one o'clock in the afternoon. It was a little heavier than normal because where the two started to merge into one, there were three cars that had an accident on the side. And two of them were right along the shoulder, the left shoulder, and one was still out into the middle of the traffic. And we had to slow down and go around that person. It's a stressful situation. You ever been in an accident on the highway or on the road and people were sometimes honking their horns at you? And you already, is it my fault? Is it their fault? It's stressful. You're dealing with the unexpected and the unpleasantly unexpected. And I tried to creep around slowly, these three people. These three cars. And someone else went around me all the way on the right shoulder, even a little bit stronger, and yelled words I'm going to repeat to you right now. You motherfuckers get off the goddamn road, screaming it. Not helping. Life has enough pressure already. Now, I don't want to take this one example to be too emblematic, and yet it's not the first time that I've experienced something like this. It almost has me thinking that that maybe if we would take as the unofficial motto of our culture right now, it would be this character. John Hamm from Bridesmaids. (laughs) So smooth and so debonair and so broken in Mad Men, a complete dork in this movie. And he shows up in his car. To help out, uh, you can't even say his girlfriend, just a woman he's sleeping with. Basically, a woman he's using, the main character. And he's going to be show up to be helpful, but he's, you know, come on now. Let's get moving. And he uses these great words. Tick-tock, dingus, I got shit to do. <laughs> I think so many of us live with an internalized version of tick-tock dingus. We got shit to do. Let's move around. Let's move along. And I could cite chapter and verse to you 
The blogger Andrew Sullivan has been talking about it, and Vox, the online magazine, has been talking about it. Salons had articles about it. Chapter and verse about research that proves the counterproductivity and absolute inefficiency of working and working and working. 55-hour weeks, 65-hour weeks, 70-hour weeks. I could cite you all that stuff, but you're smart enough to go and do that for yourself. I wanted to find a voice that talks about the sole cost of this. In this past week... It's been a man named Omid Safi, who is a scholar of Islamic mysticism and teaches at Duke University, who's written two beautiful, two beautiful essays. The website of On Being, it airs at 7 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes if I'm driving here early enough, I get to listen to it. In which he talks about what all this busyness, this under-pressureness costs us. And he writes... We have become a thing-centered society. The accumulation of stuff is one of our favorite priorities. We define our worth through the number of tasks we fulfill. And he's reflecting on how it makes him ignore his daughter, who he loves so much, but continues staring at his screen. And he asks, how do we become a person-centered society again? He starts to answer this question. He said, in many Muslim cultures, when you want to ask someone how they're doing, you ask in these words in Arabic, kaif hal ik. In Persian, they say that same word, hal. How is your hal? He writes, what is this hal that you inquire about? It is this, the transient state of one's heart. In reality, we ask this. How is your heart doing at this very moment, with this very breath? Folks, how is your heart doing? How is your hull at this very moment, at this very breath? Just notice, not asking, taking a poll here now. Just notice, bless you, how is your heart? This is a way to become person-centered again by remembering the one person who we can always assure is here every moment we live, which is ourselves. This is the way we can start to move away from the under-pressure society. Because if we open space for ourselves, we can do it with other people as well. And it's the beginning of Daring Greatly, as we end this message series, Daring Greatly. It is... In the words of the song we just sang so beautifully, love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night and love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. All of us. All of our vulnerability. And all of our underwear, or naked if you will. Yes, I do worry most in this culture especially at this time, of those who are most vulnerable. The poor, the sick, the infirm, the people whose skin color makes it more likely that they will be targeted by the authorities in the name of, quote-unquote, keeping us safe, the people who may be dying far away because of our immense power, the people who, because of our busyness, we may not notice. And ultimately, that's all of us, though. 
all of us are vulnerable. This is the strength that begins in weakness. This is the love that begins often in our brokenness. And it is becoming person-centered again. This, for me, is actually not just the evolution, but the revolution at the heart of Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. That we would learn to rehumanize our lives, our hearts, our workplaces, our education. Omid Safi is a prophet of it. Pope Francis, this is why so many people who aren't Catholic are so drawn to him. Some might want to just excuse him as a Marxist. Ah, he's talking about Marxist economy. No. He's talking about an economy that puts the human being first. The Catholic Pope is a humanist. (laughs) That's why so many of us are drawn to him. Brene Brown talks about this. She calls it rehumanizing work and education. I mean, I just I heard about this just talking with one of our members, a parent in the congregation a couple weeks ago when they were mentioning uh, this thing called Common Core that I know some of you are familiar with in our schools. Common Core, which has some very different methods of teaching, things like established, you know, um, multiplication and division. And the story that this parent was describing to me as they went through it is was not resistance to change. It was this. No idea at all why this change was important. The administrators didn't tell the teachers and the teachers didn't tell the kids. And so the kids couldn't tell the parents and the parents were left holding this thing of, I don't know how to help you divide. (laughs) This is an under pressure society in which we're told we just have to keep moving and forward and doing things. But we never stop to say this is why we just keep adding things to the pile. We just Keep doing things on autopilot and wonder why we feel so disconnected and so tired and so heartsick and so mistrustful of each other. All these things that I've been mentioning, all these systems that fail us, for me, they fail what I call the Jesus test, which has nothing at all to do with belief, but it's something Jesus asked a long time ago. During his life, when he was accused by the religious authorities of his time by doing what you weren't supposed to be doing, healing on the Sabbath, because you followed the rules, you followed the systems, you followed the laws, even if human hearts broke. And he asked this one simple thing, which for me is the heart of the progressive spiritual tradition. He asked simply to the authorities of his time. Are we made for the Sabbath? Or is the Sabbath made for us? If we want to start upending the upper, the under pressure, always moving forward life, we have to start using this tool. What heals human hearts? What connects us? What honors our dignity? Our belovedness. That's the question that matters. Anything else, just rules. Systems. They can come and they can go. And they're not us. And by the way, I have no program for you this morning that said, if you ask these questions, this is what will happen. 
Remember, daring greatly is about vulnerability, about creativity, about trusting ourselves when we fully show up and pay attention to each other's lives and each other's hearts to know that we're not at all helpless, that we can be guided by who and what we love, that we can interrupt this not understanding ourselves, that we can interrupt this sadness of threatening ourselves. We can do it right now. You can do it within your own hearts. If you find you're just being driven forward and being driven forward, stop. Stop for a moment. Take a breath. You can do it at coffee hour. Ask someone, how is their hall? Just don't enter into that little superficial small talk. How is your hall? How is your heart? How is the state of your being right now? Interrupt the sadness, the threatening. Do it at work. Do it at home. Take to hearts. A core value here at Wellsprings about living with integrity. That vulnerability and humility can guide us into the positive change that we seek, but only first if we stop and remember humility, remember vulnerability. This gentleman is on so many of our hearts right now. Thich Nhat Hanh, one conscious step, one conscious breath. 88 years old, a prophet of peace and well-being and mindfulness in our world, a true Buddha, as we all are, by the way. <laughs> we can recognize it and live from that place. You must love in such a way that the person you love feels free. That's yourself, too, by the way. Love in such a way that we feel free. Follow that love, follow that trust, and know, as we know already, that it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and we're going to have to say sometimes, I don't know what the right answer is. Can we get through this together? But here's truly what I know. I would rather walk a hard road than have a hard heart. Because if I have a hard heart, I am by myself. And if you have a hard heart, you are by yourself. But if we walk a hard road, kindly, with love, we're never alone. Walk the hard road. Don't have the hard heart. This is our universalist hope, which is not owned by universalists. That love, by daring us greatly, bonds us, heals us, and it saves us. May love dare you greatly today into some of those places that scare you. Some of those places you might even be grieving for. May love dare you greatly today and welcome you home once again to this life. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. A source of original blessing that embeds within each of us, within each of our halls, within each of our hearts, The secret that everyone knows 
and yet sometimes we live and pretend like we don't. That we all already belong. That we all already are the beloved. That we are all already connected. May we interrupt the sadness of not understanding. May we interrupt the threatening of ourselves with death. And remember the love that dares us greatly. Amen.